You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudence. Dear Prudy. Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back once again. And as always, I am the host of this show that you are listening to, uh, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With us in the studio today is Joss Lavery, the reigning champion with the most appearances on this podcast thus far. When not a guest on Dear Prudence, Joss is a writer and an academic and my best friend. Hi, Joss. Hi, Mallory. It's good to see you. It is so good to see and be seen Aww. by you. Your hair's looking great. Thank you. Yours is too. Um, I'm so happy to have you back on the show, and I'm so happy to have you joining in my opening riff, which I don't always do. Um, but let's riff. Ha- yeah, let's do. <laughs> uh, we had a conversation last night that I've been thinking about a lot today, which was this letter that will by now have come out. By the time that you all are listening to this, it will have come out in the column, which was this question that this letter writer had about uh, her brother who had come out as gay when he was 18, whose family had... Uh, responded incredibly badly who had gone through some version of conversion therapy. And the question that the letter writer was asking us was sort of, my brother wants to marry a woman, and um, I don't believe that she knows that he's been through conversion therapy or or that this is part of his story. And I'm not sure, you know, I have compassion for the both of them, but I'm not sure where my responsibility lies. And so so I was sort of talking with you about it, and, and we were able to tackle... Uh, the letter writer's questions, which were sort of, you know, how do I weigh what I owe my brother versus what I think this woman should know? And how do I talk about that? And how do I, you know, encourage him to do something without making demands or outing him? And and we did that. And then we sort of didn't get to answer this sort of bigger question, which was, how do we talk to other people about themselves? Mm-hmm. And I think what I had sort of come down to was this idea that sort of like when it comes to any sort of big statement like I am gay or I am an alcoholic or I am this particular gender or I'm whatever, people are all sort of the only experts in themselves and it's sort of something that only you can say. And yet we're also sometimes wrong about ourselves and that was like a really tough thing to to put in the column and I, of course I didn't. Um, but I've just been thinking about today. I've been today. thinking about this a lot too, yeah. I mean, one of the things that that brought up for me was the sense that sometimes other people can pick up on cues that we are only half able to articulate to ourselves. And when we're in various different kinds of closets, we need that. You know, we need other people to be able to recognize and validate parts of ourselves that we may not be able to recognize and validate. But it's such a short step from there to you're living a lie, <laughs> um, shape up, which obviously is not something anyone wants to be in a position of saying to anyone else. Right. And I was just thinking, too, how it just doesn't seem to work most of the time to say to someone else, you're gay, even if you are. sure you're right. If that person cannot get there themselves, you can say it all you want and it's not useful and it's not helpful um, and it will not encourage them in any way to be more inclined to take it on themselves. Yeah. And in this particular case, I mean, far be it from me to tell the demonic conversion therapists how to do their job, but their wicked work. (laughs) Um, But I would imagine day one of such an aggressive psychological bombardment would be to problematize the word gay. Mm. Uh, You would be be told very early on that this was not something you were. 
um, but something that you had temptations towards or a tendency towards that could be managed and controlled such that, you know, were somebody simply to say, brother, I think you're gay and I love that about you, um, the chances are that would only, that would sound like you'd missed conversion therapy 101. He would have been inoculated against that, yeah. which would have been, you are trying to tell me that I am something that I have already decided that I cannot be. Mm-hmm. Um, and you simply are not alive to the nuances of the situation. Mm-hmm. And that's such, a, that's such a difficult conversation. And obviously, this goes way past that letter writer. But it is such a challenge because there are so many ways in which I think it's really fundamental to say people have to be the sort of final arbiter of themselves just because we need someone to be. Um, and yet we're also sometimes wrong about ourselves. Yeah. And that's hard to think about. And I feel like that comes up a lot in the column and I'm not always able to address it um, as as thoroughly as I would like. Right. And to, to recognize too that sexualities and sexual designations can be at different times, tactical, situational, strategic, contingent, um, short-term, long-term, that doesn't make them any less viable or important. Yeah. You know, that, that's part of what it means to be able to respect and, and love somebody's sexuality independent of what it can do for you. Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, I think that, too. I think, you know, the expression this is a phase has been, um, you know, utilized in a really damaging ways by a lot of people. And it's, you know, rightfully something that gets uh, pushed back against. But it also is difficult sometimes to acknowledge I have gone through phases in mm-hmm. my life, significant phases about my own identity and, and, and what I desire and how I think of myself. And it's really difficult to talk about that in a way that does not sound like or replicate that sort of, this is a face. It is really difficult. It's it's so difficult because, you know, and I, I can speak from some experience here, being told that something that I had been experiencing or have been experiencing is something I will grow out of uh, is only something I've ever really been able to receive, I think rightly in my experience, as a kind of criticism or dismissal. Right. And yet some of those things are things I, I no longer do. And, and I don't uh, look back on those parts of my life as uh, mistakes or deviations or errors, uh, that they're part of a story that makes me more than the sum of my identities at different moments. I think that's also something that, that we can value in other people. Yeah. No, and I think, too, you know, a phase is not something you can predict. Yeah. Um, it's not especially useful to say, I believe this is a phase, especially if that is followed up by, therefore, it's not important. Exactly. Um, and, and I do feel like it's something that I do want to try to communicate as often as possible in the column and on this show is that even if something is a phase, uh, it's still important, worth thinking about, worth considering. It, it's meaningful. Uh, it can still be a part of who you are. It does not have to last from this moment until the second that you die um, in order to be a part of who you are. Yeah. Uh-huh. And none of this isn't to say that in the case of the letter that we were discussing last night, the most likely situation is the brother is gay. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> and, I, I think this sent us know. way down a rabbit hole. I yeah. don't think any of this is like maybe, you know, um, maybe he's just a, a happy bisexual person now. Yeah. I, I don't think that seems Doesn't like the case like based on yeah. the details, but um, it just kind of sent me off in, in various directions of thinking about things. And a lot of that's going to come up in the letters I chose uh, for today because so many of them have to do with um, shifts and new understandings and new realities and, and how to think about those things and how to react to those things. Um each one thornier than the last. <laughs> it's a thorny pile and no mistaken. We are about to dive into some thorns. So uh, take my hand and let's go. Okay. Fabulous. All right. Uh, would you go ahead and read our, our very first letter, please? I'd be happy to. Uh, question one. When does life take over? My adult child is trans. This is fairly new information for us, about a year. In some ways, understandably, many conversations with her revolve around life as a trans woman. It is, is it okay for me to think... When can we talk about something else? I do care about every aspect, 
but I also just want to have a conversation about work, play, friends, etc. I ask these kinds of questions, but all too often, the conversation then gets back to the same topic. Am I being heartless? She has known for a couple of years more than we have, if that makes a difference. If it's not realistic to expect that we can get to a just-life way of conversation, then I can accept that. I just really want to know from another perspective. I'm fascinated by the title of this letter, the idea of when does life take over. Yeah. I have so many thoughts about that. Like, what makes this not life? Yeah. And what is the version of life that you would like to take over look like? Um, Work, is it just... life, and friends, which this letter writer maybe thinks don't necessarily have to do with being trans, whereas <laughs> I would think that they may very well have to do with being trans. My My gut response to that is whatever life looked like before their daughter transitioned, um, they would like to talk about gender the same amount. Yeah. Like, it sounds like I'm on board with the fact that my daughter is is a woman. Um, I, I have done that, but I would like to go back to the same levels of discussing about gender just with a new understanding of what her gender is. That's That sounds right. It's, I mean, the, 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 the resistance there to, to letting the daughter determine the, the scope and scale of conversation seems palpable. Um, and as I say, I mean, it, it seems very likely to me um, that this person's daughter is indeed experiencing work, friends, play, etc. in new ways uh, and is therefore able to conduct those conversations recognizing the difference and trying to foreground a difference that seems incredibly important to her. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, I, I, I think I have an idea of, of what your response to this might be. I, I think it's probably similar to mine. But um, do you think that this person is being heartless? Do you think that it is OK to desire to ask to talk about something uh, that does not uh, that is not foregrounded in talking about her identity as a trans woman? Like, do you think she's a bad mom? Or, or dad. Yeah. <laughs> um, or parent. I, I don't... The number of times I catch myself on this show just assuming that the letter writer is a particular gender is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. A, a parent. A parent. A bad parent. Uh, no, I, I don't think this person is being heartless. And, and I think the desire is very understandable. I mean, um, friends of mine who have transitioned in the recent past do indeed feel that it is a really, really important part of their life on a day-to-day basis. Um, and... It does change the nature of relationships. I mean, of course, how could it not? And, and that change is something that I'm sure the, the daughter is experiencing as well uh, and, and may have her own feelings of, of ambivalence and anxiety around. So I, I don't think it's an example of heartlessness at all, um, although I do think uh, I, I do think there's a limitation in the understanding here. I, I would encourage the letter writer in this case to try to raise the question uh, with his or her or their daughter uh, in, in the terms in which the letter writer has raised it w- with you or with us. That is to say, I don't think that it is heartless, but I suspect that the fear of being thought heartless is prohibiting a conversation that can and should take place. Yeah, and I think, too, uh, there, there's so much to this. No, I don't think that your desire um, is 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 necessarily a bad one or one that is rooted in some sort of rejection of her identity. That's right. not the feel I get from this letter. I, no. I can... It's often obvious if a letter writer wants to be more accepting or understanding than they are, and I don't feel like that's the case here. Um, you know, there's a couple of logistical things that I think are worth addressing before getting into some of the the deeper questions, you know, some of which are just, um, you know, 
bear in mind that when you talk about work and play and friends, um, those things are all steeped in ideas about gender. And you have always been talking about them with your child um, in in a way that makes a lot of assumptions about gender and gender identity. It was just that a lot of that work was done for you previously. Um, so now you're just noticing ways in which, um, because your daughter is a trans woman, um, that you have to think about a lot of stuff that you maybe did not have to think about before. And that is a kind of work. And, and work is time. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of that just I think you should be aware of. It's not that she is introducing the topic of gender to stuff that did not used to have to do with gender. Like people work as genders, people play as genders, people have friends as genders. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just making you think about it differently than you did before. So that is something I think to bear in mind. Another thing is just um, for a lot of people when they come out and it's different when you come out as as uh, gay or bisexual or or um queer uh versus coming out as 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 trans or or gender nonconforming but there is often this sense of when you come out you know that is as overwhelming um often as it as it ever will be which is not to say everybody then settles down into some sort of um really normative category where you barely notice but that's often the most tumultuous and intense time in the first couple of years out um especially if she's just beginning her transition in a lot of ways like this is something that affects everything about her life so to 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 bear that in mind not to say so shut up um and don't ever express any desires of your own or ask questions that you might feel embarrassed to ask or or, or have feelings or responses just um that this is uh, you know uh, this is very intense and overwhelming for her um how, how do you how do you picture this letter writer trying to have this conversation and do you think it's more of a question of here's how you can sometimes redirect versus should you ask for it directly and what would a conversation where you're not talking about being trans look like well that's that's a really big question and i think um or rather sorry where it's not foregrounded because i don't think yeah. you should ask for a conversation where talking about being trans is somehow off limits or not going to come up no sure no i mean i think actually if I can answer that question a little obliquely, one of the, the things that this question raises for me is the first noun uh, in this letter is adult. And it, it seems to me that part of the anxiety actually is not really trans-specific. It, it is about having a daughter who has chosen uh, a way of living her life and identifying herself that seems quite different or quite new from the set of expectations that this parent may have predicted. Mm. Um, and in that sense, I think the condition that this letter writer is in is is not unusual at all. Uh, it, it, it's quite universal. It, it's something that parents of adult children will often have to deal with, uh, letting uh, their adult child determine the terms of their relationship to a much greater degree than had ever uh, been possible when, when, when a parent was raising the child. And that that is quite a, a, um, a, a poignant experience for a lot of parents. And I understand that it's one that presents any number of particular challenges. And, and in this case, of course, those challenges are very specific and determined. But I would encourage the letter writer to realize that uh, or, or to think maybe just to, just to contemplate that this, this condition is that your daughter is asking you to rearrange your expectations of the relationship and to uh, allow her... Uh, to call certain conversational shots that is going to require a readjustment. Mm -hmm. And that's the conversation I would want to have, less around what is transness doing in this parent-daughter relationship and more about how can we develop a new relationship uh, as two adults, albeit an adult child and a parent, um, 
that's a really difficult question for a lot of parents, but I have faith that this letter writer will be able to do that sensitively. Yeah. No, I think that's a really useful distinction. Um, and so both to think through, what is it that I want from my daughter conversationally? And is that for her to ask me more questions about how I'm doing? Mm-hmm. I feel like that might be unspoken in some of the questions, of, uh, the, some of the issues around wanting to talk about work and play and friends. Um, is it, I, I want to know um, like what she's doing at work. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is, is there something specific that I want to know? that I'm not getting information on that I can ask for, um, rather than asking, can we strip transness from this conversation? Which I I don't think is what the letter writer truly wants, um, but I I think could could be how that conversation could go if you are not careful. Right. Um, And then also, uh, you know, for what it's worth, uh, if you are not in uh, therapy yourself or or maybe going to PFLAG meetings, I know PFLAG stands for Parents and Friends, Lesbians and Gays, but they also have a great um, uh, support for people who have uh, trans people in their lives. Um, Just to be able to talk to other people who are trying to um, go through transition with someone they love and Mm -hmm. who don't always understand what it looks like or sometimes have questions for you to be able to talk to other people about that, um, especially if you have questions that you're worried about. If I say this to my daughter in the wrong way, it could be more damaging than I intend it to, to have kind of a test audience um, to work out some of that stuff with. I think you might find that really, really helpful. Um, and it's never not a good time to tell your trans daughter that you love her and that you admire her and her life choices and the extraordinary bravery that she has shown in coming out to you and to, to other people in her life. That's a huge decision for any young woman to take. And uh, it's never not a good time to remind her of that. Yep. Yep. No, and I think there are ways that you will be able to have the types of conversations that you would like to have together Um And I think you should also let go of the idea that there is a way to have a gender-neutral conversation about things like work and play and friends. Absolutely. Um, And if you can do that, I I think there's a lot of um, uh, hope for the two of you to be able to have a a really lovely new kind of relationship um, that in many ways reminds you of the relationship you've always had and in other ways is is new and different um, and fantastic. And and I hope you write us back in another year and let us know how you two are connecting. Um, Yeah. I hope so, too. Yeah, that would be fabulous. All right. Uh, uh, This one, I I tried to throw a few lighter ones in between (laughs) some of the the trickier ones. Uh, And the subject line of this one is just not his mother. And it's it's another one about sleep where it makes me want to advise someone to commit murder, which I realize (laughs) is becoming a running theme on this show. So, dear Prudence, I'm a college student living in a dorm. A few few rooms down lives a guy who cannot seem to wake up to his alarm most of the time. So, in order to end the blasting obnoxiousness, I have to pound on his door and wake him up myself. I've tried letting it run, but it'll go for over an hour if I don't stop it, and it's loud and shrill and aggravating. This has gone on for months. I have talked to him and my RA, but nothing has been done about it. Sometimes he sets his alarm for 4 a.m. What can I do here? I can't switch rooms this late in the year. I feel like I'm going insane, and he's totally nonchalant. My good lord. I'm furious. I'm, I can't believe this. It's outrageous. Who else lives on this floor? I, no I, one else is hearing this. It's baffling and disorienting. I feel confused and I feel angry. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I want to tell you to kill him in his sleep. I can't keep saying that. Don't do that. Don't um, do that. But I do, do want to tell you to destroy his alarm. Yeah. Although part of me worries that he would just then get a bigger one because he clearly delights... Uh, in inconveniencing and exasperating you. Four o'clock in the morning. For an hour. Who sleeps through an hour-long alarm? I mean, I, I, are we worried about his 
you know, it, it, does he have some condition that requires some kind of... We should allow for that possibility. We should allow for that possibility. That he either has a serious drinking problem yeah, uh, or some sort of possibly diagnosed, possibly undiagnosed sleep disorder. Yeah. Um, so, so, but that aside, the fact that he knows this is waking you up often for hours at a time and that you're knocking on his door and he seems really nonchalant, um, whatever's underlying this aside, you know, you're not his partner, you're not his roommate, you can't... Or his uh, doctor. Or his doctor. Um, you know, he knows this is awful for you. And can we can we give her can can we give her or him or whoever this letter writer is permission to destroy the alarm clock? Well, I am assuming that the alarm clock is the phone. <sighs> I mean, that's not a yes or a no answer, but no, I right. you know, but the stakes I think have to be wagered at the the level of the iPhone. Mm. If anyone knows how to jailbreak somebody else's iPhone, possibly remotely, and remove the ability to have any sort of alarm system. Please call the Dear Prudence line uh, and let us know so we can advise this poor, poor sufferer who I have enormous sympathy for. Yeah, um, yeah. Th- there's a guy in my building who uh, who has a very odd sound that he makes at about uh, six o'clock in mm-hmm. the morning, sometimes, not regularly. And it rarely wakes me up. I only s- sort of notice it when I happen to be up earlier than usual anyway. Um, but I have projected the most extraordinary fantasies onto this scenario uh, because the noise is not a noise of it's not a noise of happiness or sadness. It is hmm. effectively very difficult to read. Okay, um, I'm coming over to your house tomorrow at six in the morning because I really <laughs> want to hear this. Um, you're welcome anytime. But I mean, it's not. It, I mean, yeah, an hour. Yeah, an hour at four it's in the morning. Who is above the RA? Who do you go to when the RA fails? Well... Because this RA has failed. This RA has failed pretty substantially. Um, I would... I I mean, I I, I can't say... My sense... This is a part of a university life that, sadly, I I know remarkably little about, and I'm rather embarrassed to admit that. Um, My sense is that there might very well be a faculty member associated with the dormitory, in which case that person, uh, at the very least, should be... um, getting information about the kind of stuff that you're going through. Um, if not, I, I, I would think you'd want to register some kind of formal complaint for harassment. I mean, this is, this, this is, this is pretty serious, and it, it's seriously impacting. I'm not the one needs to go to this level even, but it's, it, it's impacting your ability to enjoy college and get a productive experience out of your time at college. No, and like if there's one thing I feel like we all know, it is that like repeated sleep deprivation uh, is incredibly unhealthy. Mm. It, it physically unhealthy. It, it it derails your ability to concentrate. Like it is not sleep is not something to be fucked around with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I feel like you can go one of two routes or, or you can combine both of these routes, right? One of them is the sort of pursuit of conflict route. And one of them is the keep your head down and get the hell out of there route. Um, and depending on your personality, you might find one better than the other. So let's say you go the pursue conflict route. Uh, you escalate from your RA to your RDA uh, yeah. or whatever faculty member might be in charge. Um, you consider filing a noise complaint. Certainly keep a written record. Yeah. Um, you know, like Wednesday, alarm started at 4, continued until 5.15 um, so that there is a record that you can eventually uh, show somebody in an attempt to get him to modify his behavior. That's... I I don't know how much luck you're going to get with that. Oh, my God. I have to believe you have some luck with that. I hope you do. (laughs) I hope something happens. Like, 
I, I just also like he's a few rooms down, right? There yeah. are presumably people in the rooms like in between theirs. Are they just all sleeping through this? I have no idea. I mean, the, you could the, rally the, the people in the hall. You could get everybody in there, pound on his door at one in the morning. And, like, turn all their alarms on at once. I realize this is the lighthearted question, but it's kind of like contemplating Dante's Inferno. This is, you know, this is too much. <laughs> is it? No, it is. It, it's, it's like, consistent. It's seemingly low stakes. It sounds petty if you try to describe it to other people. It makes you feel like you're going insane um, and no one's helping you. I just really hope that the letter writer knows that this is serious and yeah. that you can and should expect uh, a resolution to this problem. This, is, this isn't something that... You're, you just, you're being unreasonable about it, that you just sort of you get on with your life around if so if this is happening to you frequently uh as i say that is significantly impacting your ability to be productive in your college career and that affects your educational an outcomes hour, an, an hour from 5 to 6 in the morning it's mind boggling it's bad like it's bad when people have babies people write to me when they have small children and they say like my child cries in the night and i feel terrible because i i, I i'm angry when i hear that and that's your baby who you love mm-hmm. this is just some asshole down the dorm who can't be bothered to turn off his snooze button that you don't even have love restraining you yeah no jury in the world will convict you no. if you commit murder. Don't take that advice. That's not true. You will be convicted of murder. Um, I mean, you'll be convicted of murder if and only if you murder this person, which I don't think you should do. Uh, you're not going to get convicted of murder on the off chance. But, you know, at the moment, I'm not, I, I'm not, obviously I'm not a lawyer. I'm an English professor. But I would not be surprised if you had some kind of case here. I would be surprised if you had really? some kind of case. I feel like otherwise we'd hear about a lot of cases about alarm clocks. You have tried, this person has tried to get this person to shut up. But as I say, the, what what is at stake in this case is access to education. Yeah, I, I hear that. I think between talking to your RA and a lawsuit are many steps. Oh, don't, I'm not saying that. Yeah, but yeah, don't, yeah. yeah, but I just mean writers on your side, even if the law is not. Yeah, I just can't imagine wanting to spend more of like there's a limit right like there's certain points where i would say absolutely worth it go after this guy try to make it stop and then at a certain point like when it comes to something like hiring a lawyer it would just feel like oh my gosh this is just not worth letting this guy take up any more of my day so yeah so for the low conflict route earplugs noise canceling headphones um finding an attractive girlfriend or boyfriend who sleeps in another dorm that you can spend all your nights at um those are all you know, finger in the dam kind of solutions. Nice. Sorry I did the gesture <laughs> at you. Um, but yeah, like none of those are great, obviously. Like an alarm eats through headphones. I know that. Um, but they're worth considering. Um, ask Honestly, ask to get his room switched. You know what I mean? Like you say you can't get room switched this late in the year. Like go make a damn fuss with housing and just be like, here is a calendar of the last three weeks of every morning this guy's alarm has gone off for an hour. Here's the people I have talked to who have done nothing. You guys need to help me. And just like, don't leave until someone helps you. If if nothing else, and you just need a place to sleep, like I just, oh my God, like just call and we will find a listener somewhere in your part of the country who has a guest room um, and, and a quiet house and we will send you there um, and you will you will be taken care of. And the internet scares me sometimes, but I will say I really like we're going to find a listener with a guest room a lot more than we'll find a listener with some kind of magical technical know-how who can break into this person's phone remotely. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, one of them is nice and, yeah. and one of them is distressing. Dear Prudence community. Yeah. No, I'm so sorry. I, the, How inconsiderate do you have to be to let your alarm go for an hour? 
on a scale that it's, I cannot imagine in another human being. Like I've maybe, maybe once in my life had someone knock on my door to complain about noise. Uh, I'm not even sure that it happened, but I was horrified. You ever have the cops called on you for noise? No, yeah. no. I, I'm sure in college I was at like a party uh, at some point where where the cops came by. Um, but no, I, I have never thrown any kind of event where someone had to complain about the noise. Um, Nor me. Yeah, much less think. every morning at 4 to 5 a.m. Yep. Oh, my God. I think we both need a minute to cool down. Uh, so we'll just, like, pause and fan ourselves. Whew. And then um, whenever you feel emotionally ready, you can read our next letter. Let's do it. Good girl hates drugs. Dear Prudence, I have a wonderful boyfriend. He's great in the bedroom and incredibly supportive of me career-wise and personally. Our relationship is very healthy. Unfortunately, he believes that since he is young, 24, he should be able to occasionally experiment with illegal drugs. The drugs he uses, LSD, weed, benzos, are widespread in our profession and have low addiction potential. I, however, find any drug use utterly repulsive. I am scared of legal consequences. I also see he has a tendency to overdrink when in stressful situations and worry he may be developing dependence, normalized by our college environment, which could move to other drugs. We have discussed it, and he seems committed to continuing this youthful experimentation. He says I need to form a nuanced view of substances and does not pressure me to use them. I love my boyfriend, and it seems silly to end a wonderful relationship over very occasional recreational drug use when it is common among our peers. But Prudence, I feel so uncomfortable. What are my options? This has nothing to do with the question, but I always wonder so much what people mean when they say someone is great in the bedroom. Great in the bedroom. Hospital corners for days. Just great in the bedroom. Yeah. You know, the one way to be great. Always picks up clothes and puts them in the dirty linen basket. Is it called a dirty linen basket in America? Yeah. Linen basket? A hamper, I guess? Uh, anyway. Yeah. yeah. But you could say dirty linens. Um, I don't think I own any linen, but I would understand what someone meant. My jumpsuit is linen. It is. It, it, for our listeners, Jaws is the owner of perhaps the loveliest jumpsuit I've ever seen in my oh. life. The last time that we were out together uh, and Joss was wearing it, uh, the number of strangers who stopped us to say something, uh, including like this wonderful middle-aged man who just stopped and looked at you and said, I really respect that. Yeah, it was it, beautiful. It was such a beautiful moment. The kind of man who does not usually respect my choices. No, you could tell he was not the kind of guy who was like used to stopping and complimenting people's outfits, which yeah. was just a really lovely moment. I really liked it too. I really wish you all could see it, but you can't. What I do want to say is that benzodiazepines are so addictive. Yeah, they're really different <laughs> they're, from LSD and weed. Yeah, really, really addictive. And if this person is regularly using benzodiazepines, you should know that withdrawal from benzodiazepines is lethal and you shouldn't come off benzos without medical supervision. Yeah, again, because there can be this really big spectrum, right, of perceived um, addictive behavior versus the denial of addictive behavior. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this could be a person who likes to get high on the weekends and has like popped in an Ativan once mm -hmm. and the girlfriend feels like that's really intense. Or this could be someone who's like waking up with a fistful of benzos every day um, and like dropping acid every afternoon. Um, so I don't know. But of course, the question is not, is my boyfriend an addict? The question is, is it okay for me to not like the fact that my boyfriend uses drugs? 
And the answer is yes, it is perfectly okay to not like the fact that your boyfriend uses drugs. Yeah, good news. You you get to have your own personal limit. Um, and you can be the kind of person who says, I have, uh, you know, nearly zero to zero uh, drug use in my own life. And I would prefer a partner who's like pretty much right there with me. Um, and that's fine. One of the things that I notice in this letter is a sense, and maybe I'm projecting, I, I'm not sure that I'm not projecting here, but the letter writer seems to think that because uh, his or her boyfriend's drug use is... Ooh, normalized. we were right this time, though, because it says good girl hates drugs. We have not just made assumptions. The oh, letter yes. writer has referred to themselves as a girl. Fair enough. I just wanted to give us that pat on the back. Phew. Uh, this letter writer, I think, comes to suggest later on in the letter that because her boyfriend's drug use is normal in their immediate social environment, that it's therefore universally normal, that she's not going to be able to find any other potential uh, dates who don't use drugs in the same way. And I guess I just want to say that that's really not true. There are different kinds of communities out there with very, very different relations to drugs. Um, some people take a lot more drugs and you can date them if you want. Some people take a lot fewer drugs. You can date them if you want. Um, you, you don't have to go for what you take to be the immediate standard in your immediate environment. Uh, and you may also not be right about what that immediate standard is. Right. Yeah. And in fairness, actually, to the letter writer's boyfriend, she does call it very occasional recreational drug use. So it's probably not fistful of benzos every morning. That's uh, true. Uh, uh, you know, I mean... That's true. She does say that. And I, 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 I wonder, though, about that parenthesis LSD, weed, benzos, because those are three drugs that people use in very, very different ways and mm -hmm. with very different desires right. towards very different ends. And if you're taking LSD occasionally, weed occasionally, and benzos occasionally, that's still taking quite a lot of drugs. It's not no drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you have options here, uh, one of which, you know, it's great that your boyfriend does not pressure you to use drugs. I mean, that that's a low bar to clear, but it's yeah. good that he has cleared it. Absolutely. Um, it's great that he's supportive of your career and, and of you personally. I, I want to encourage you um, to set the bar a little higher for the word wonderful. Uh -huh. um, just because, you know, supportive of your career and, and you personally is like entry level stuff. That's not unique to your boyfriend. That's not like, wow, what a great guy. That's like just not your enemy. Um, <laughs> so if, if there's a part of it, you know, because the question is, it seems silly to end a wonderful relationship over occasional recreational drug use. And I just want to point out that, like, you you know, you haven't mentioned anything in here that's like, wow, you'll never find that again. Mm -hmm. um, you, you could live your life in such a way that everyone you date from now until the time you die meets those criteria. Um, and that would be, I think, pretty easy to do. So, um, you know, bear that in mind. Uh, it, it is also possible. It does not sound like your boyfriend has like a wildly destructive relationship to drugs and alcohol, although obviously, um, you know, I can't make any sort of um, sweeping judgment uh, about what that looks like. I'd, all I have to go on is is, is your reading of the situation. Um, it's if you decide that he does these drugs really infrequently um, and that you're really happy with the relationship and all other aspects um, and you're willing and able to set limits with each other, like if he's going to be like partying and using drugs, um, he'll stay somewhere else that night or, you know, you don't have to like talk a lot about it, like whatever limits you want to set. You can absolutely give that a shot. And it's also really fine to say um, your relationship to drugs and alcohol is not terribly unreasonable. 
Uh, neither is mine. They're not compatible. Uh, they're probably not going to grow more compatible with time. Um, so let's go our separate ways and wish each other the best. Yeah. That's not silly. That's not in the least silly. It's a perfectly reasonable way for a relationship to go. Yeah. Um, the w- one thing I do want to say, actually, is that although letter writers are quite careful to stipulate that the, the drug use is occasional, that does seem to be something around dependency on alcohol. Mm-hmm. That's that true. Suggests that he's drinking more when he's stressed out. Yeah. Not just for fun, but right. because he wants to fix the way he's feeling. And that's not um, great. That's not great. I mean, that that that's that, that could very well be a source of anxiety. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also something that, that gets very, it gets normalized even outside environments where people are regularly doing LSD, weed, and benzos. Um, and that, that's something to talk about as well. Yeah. Yep. I, it's possible to be overly scared by drug use. It's possible to be overly dismissive of fears about drug use. I think what I would come down, what it comes down to for me is reading this letter, you say that you find any drug use utterly repulsive and you say that you feel really uncomfortable. I think you should pay attention to that. I think those are probably the two most important sentences in your letter because they don't have anything to do with your boyfriend um, because you can't, you know, control his behavior. um, But they have to do with your state of being. um, And that is repulsion and discomfort. Um, and it's pretty, it, it is not abnormal to be a person who doesn't use illegal drugs. Um, and it's pretty normal to say, I would prefer to date someone who also didn't do that. Like that's not wildly out of social norms such that you would be hard pressed to find someone to date you. And you can say that and feel that and respect that in yourself and make decisions on the basis of that without then making him into some degenerate villain. Right. Uh, you know, while recognizing that his approach is not at this point a kind of extreme one. It, it sounds like his uh, his drug use is, is not something that is terrifying you, but mm-hmm. is making you feel the kind of repulsion and discomfort. Those things are adequate and sufficient reasons uh, for you to make choices uh, regardless of anything that, that you may feel about him, you know you don't need to you don't need to overestimate the problem. You've already estimated it pretty effectively. Right, yeah. he doesn't need to be an addict for you to say this relationship's not what I want. Exactly, he can be a good guy with a different relationship to substances than you, and it could just not be working out. That's um, exactly. I right. think you should probably pay attention to it, and you should at least seriously consider breaking up and looking for somebody else who's who's a little bit more in line with um, how you want to live your life. Mm-hmm. All right, sports fans, that is it for today. Joss and I ended up tackling so many letters uh, that we're actually going to split this episode up into two parts. So this all happened on the same day, uh, but we're pretending that it took place over two weeks. Uh, We will be back with Joss next week, by which I mean right now, uh, but for you next week, to answer more of your questions. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Audrey Dilling. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts, and Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. Remember, you can always hear more prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. It helps more people find the show and more problems find solutions. If you want me to hear your question, call and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. <laughs>